to uh, Mark, chapter number three. Thought I would continue Pastor's series on Mark. Uh, <laughs> he's probably watching, and I, 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 I actually wasn't planning on doing that. But uh, I do have something in Mark, just a few verses here. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to, uh, to get saved and understand how God saved us, and it was... It was uh, through the means of the cross. It's incredible to think that God enacted such a, a rescue mission for Jesus to leave heaven and to, uh, to come amongst us and uh, to, you know, ultimately the main purpose of God was our redemption. Uh, if you look at the scriptures and you study from the beginning, that's, that's the thread that goes all the way through. Uh, is the redemption of man, the plan for God to have a people unto himself. Uh, but it happened at the cross. And when you get saved, the next thing that happens is, of course, you get a change of uh, spiritual family. You become a child of God. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, sometimes people think you can lose your salvation. Someone, someone texted me the other day. They said, do you have a good verse on eternal security? And uh, I said, no, I don't really have a verse. I said, but there's a whole theme of the scriptures. It's when you understand the broader picture of the scriptures, it really cannot be any other way. Uh, because when you're saved, uh, well, the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit uh, comes inside of you and you become spiritually alive. So the Bible word is you're quickened means that you were dead inside your spirit before. You were alive in your flesh. Uh, you were even alive with your soul. You're a, you are a soul. You're a living soul. But you become spiritually alive. Uh, and that becomes your, your, uh, you know, your connection with God and uh, in, in you, you, his spirit, your spirit. And uh, then you get sealed. You know, a, a seal is put upon each of God's children. And uh, a seal, uh, probably also a name. The Bible talks about in heaven we'll have a new name. Um, so I don't know what yours will be. I could guess, I suppose, some of you. But, um, but uh, you'll have a, a new name, but you're sealed and uh, you're adopted. You're adopted into the family of God. Uh, you become a child of God. Your name is written in the book of life. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And uh, all of those terms are not things that you do one day and lose the next day. You understand? When you, when you made someone's family your family, if, if you're adopted in, you're adopted in. If you're sealed by the Spirit of God, you don't get unsealed. And uh, so when we get saved, we move to a new, a new family. And of course, what comes with that is uh, a new understanding about how we are to live our life. Uh, the first thing you do is get saved. There's no point you trying to reform your life prior to salvation. The starting point uh, before you try to get a new life is to become a new person. And you become a new person in Christ when you're born again. And, and then from that point, you, 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 you learn. You start the journey of learning. And I don't know if you can remember back to when you first got saved. I, I remember things because I never went to Sunday school. So I, so I got saved as a teenager. I did not have the benefit of growing up knowing Bible stories just my whole life. So it was all new to me. Uh, but you get saved, you start to learn things. And uh, what is happening is that 
God is teaching you uh, what you are to be. Uh, now, sometimes when those outside look at us, uh, they think that we believe certain things or do certain things just because our group does that or just because people like us think that way. And what they don't understand is all of us, uh, when we came to the Lord, we all had to learn. Uh, we all came and we all understood, well, I have to line up with what he tells me to be. And so I learned a whole lot of things about being a Christian that I didn't know. Uh, and, and coming to Christ is about uh, a change of uh, person, but it's a change of your behaviour. And so you, you, you ought to be working on having what I say to the ties, a God perspective, a God view about everything. How would God want me to be about this? Well, uh, part of that, that journey is uh, you come to the place, and I've been meditating on this, uh, I would say, uh, you know, more than a month, just thinking about the question of uh, what, what, what is family? And what, 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 did, what is family meant to be? What, did, what does God intend for, for family? And I'm not focusing so much on the role of any you know, individual person in the family, but more, well, God, why do we have family? Why did you give that? And how, Lord, do you want me to be with family? How am I supposed to view that? How do you want me to look at uh, my family? What, what, what do you want me to feel? What's the God perspective of that? And my broader extended family, how am I to think about that? And to just try to understand that. And the best way to understand something like that, and by the way, you should ask that question about everything. You should ask about work. You should ask about your money, your finances. Well, what is God's expectation of this? What am I to do? You should think about uh, your giftings, opportunities. Um, you, should, you should be weighing up all these things about, well, what, what is... What is God's perspective of that? Uh, how, how am I to live? And what does he require of me with all of that? Because it'll, you have decisions to make. So I've been thinking uh, about family and there's two ways that you would come to, to, I think, to understand getting a right perspective about how you should think about this. And uh, I think the two ways are, one, you go back to the purpose of the creation. You go back to why did God make that? All right, that's a legitimate question. Why, why did God make that? What was his intent when he made us that way? What was his intent? Uh, why, why the nations? I won't get into that tonight, but, but why the nations? Why different cultures? Why, why, why different cultures? Why did we... Uh, uh, descend and come from the, the three sons of Noah and that those three sons uh, really uh, became three distinct, uh, I guess we could say racial groups and they broke up. Uh, and so you have, uh, you know, I'm getting into all this tonight, but uh, Shem became uh, of, of, of what most people of Asian descent would have come from Shem. And so they went a certain way from where the ark was. They kind of went this way towards uh, what was China, that region, and began to populate that area. And then you have uh, Japheth, which are most Europeans. If you're, a, you know, if you're a European, then that's likely where you would trace your origins. You came from that sun. 
And so even being here in Australia, I, you know, my family originally a couple hundred years ago, they were in Europe. And so that's kind of, we go back to Japheth if you're, if you're of European descent. Uh, and then if you're of uh, African descent, you would trace uh, your lineage back to Ham. And so Ham went down to, to Africa and, and Shem moved across to Asia and uh, Japheth went up to, uh, towards the Europe area and mostly uh, were contained in those areas. Of course, now, uh, this is, uh, now you've noticed that uh, the big push now is to remove all uh, national identity. So there's a real thrust now to say that nobody is anything and that uh, it means nothing. It's nothing more than a, a skin pigment. Uh, but, of course, that's not true. Uh, there's no differenti differentiation in terms of equality uh, because we all come from Noah and before that we're not differentiating that some are greater than others. I don't believe that. Uh, but it's quite ignorant to say that there's no cultural distinction. There absolutely is. I live, I live in Asia and I'm not Asian. And uh, so, uh, believe me, there's cultural differences. And you say, well, that's just ties. Well, it's not really. It's, it's, it's all of Asia. There's, some things might be distinctly Thai, but, but most of it is very common to the region. And it's a different way of thinking. Uh, Westerners, uh, the sons of Japheth, tend to be a lot more logical in our thought processes. We put a, we put a great emphasis on reason and logic. And so you trace that back right to early Greek culture and before that. And so we've developed a way of thinking. That's just how we think. And we don't even realise we think that way. Uh, but not everybody thinks that way. And it doesn't mean that anybody's any lesser because they have a different way. It's just recognising that. Well, you come to family. So you go back to Genesis and you say, well, what, what's God's intent with family? Because if you understand the Genesis part, Genesis being the book of beginnings, now you can start to discover intent of God, purpose. And uh, so Genesis is a good help. And then beyond that, you have these examples that we read tonight in Mark 3, where you have Jesus interacting now with his family. Now, we don't have, um, we don't have many... Uh, verses, we don't have a lot in the Word of God about Jesus interacting with his family. We have a little bit. We have when he was younger, remember when he went to the temple and got separated, and, and we have this part here where he'd begun his ministry. But, but, but where we gain from this and why I believe it's in the Word of God is because we look at, well, how did Jesus respond to his family when that happened? What, what did he do? And I believe that God has put these things in the word of God to teach us how we are to be uh, with our families. Now, I may say some things tonight that might seem a little uh, hard or, or hard to consider, uh, but can I say that there are parts in the Bible that I know I've read where I thought, you know, that seems really strong. That just seems really, uh, I don't want to say harsh, but it just, boy, that's, that's really, that's difficult. Now, there's passages in the Bible that I think, I don't think I'll teach this to the ties yet. I might just leave that one for a little bit longer. 
because I'm nervous about how I could just see myself teaching it and even reading those verses and I know they'll be, you know, it'll be like, is it really saying that? So that's the two ways that we look at this. So let's have a look, Mark 3, let's get the picture. Jesus has begun his ministry, he's inside teaching people and verse 31, they come and uh, uh, his family come uh, and and uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot in verse 31. Can you get a mental picture? Uh, uh, mum, <laughs> mother is there, and the brothers, and probably the extended family, and uh, and they've come to get him. And basically, I don't know if their plan was to take him home, uh, or to uh, just to, to get it. You know, he's, he needed to come back. Uh, but we do know that in John chapter seven, in verse five, it says. Uh, for neither did his brethren believe in him. And so at this point, his family is not understanding who he is uh, because they've watched him at home for 30 years and uh, they've seen him do sort of normal stuff at home. And now he's out, he's got a following, uh, all these people are crowding around as he's teaching the word of God and, you know, they turn up outside, just go tell him, you know, let him know that, that we are here and, uh, you know, he needs to come out. And uh, so they, they go in and tell him and uh, verse 32, you know, um, your mother and brethren are outside looking for you. And he answers and said, who is my mother or my brethren? Have you meditated on that before? Have, have, can you picture being in the room and uh, you've been listening to his teaching and, and then, you know, in the middle of the teaching, someone comes in, I don't know, with interrupts or waits for a pause, but says, uh, Jesus, uh, your, mother and, and your mother and family are outside. They, they, want, they want to see you. They're without. And if you were in the room, you know, the, the, the teaching has stopped for a minute at least, and, you're, and now you look at him, and uh, he says, uh, who is my mother and brethren? And that's the first time you've heard someone say that. And you'd be, uh, hmm, who are my mother and brethren, he says. And then in verse 34, he looks around about those uh, who had been with him in the study of the word of God or the listening to the teaching. Behold, my mother and my brethren. Well, there's a lesson in this. That would be very, you'd be like, oh, what does that mean? And then verse 35, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Now that would have been perhaps a bit shocking to those who heard that or perplexing at at least, uh, all, all what that meant. So we have an example here of how Jesus responded and uh, in doctrinal context, can you go back in your minds, we don't need to turn there, to Genesis and uh, look at how God made, uh, God makes the world and then God makes us. And you'll notice if you just reflect on that, uh, when God made us, he did not make a couple. Uh, would you agree with that? If, if you don't, you just have to go back and read a little bit. But God, God started off, God didn't make two people. So God's, God's man creation was Adam, was a man. 
Okay, now it's, it's after that that God determines that man uh, should not be alone. It was not good for him to be alone. And then from man, God makes woman. All right, so, so just think a little bit. Hmm. So God's intent, at least he started by making an individual. Now that's a significant statement. He didn't start by making many of us all at one time. Uh, he, 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 now, he did with other things. Would you agree with that? He didn't just make two fish. He didn't just make two trees. He didn't make one. He started by making many of other things. But when it came to us, uh, he starts by making one. And so just stop and pause for a moment in history. Uh, God... And now God has made a man wholly unlike anything else he's made for he's breathed into this one the very spirit of life that comes from him. And this man is different from the animals because this man has a body, a soul and a spirit. And the animals don't have a body, a soul and a spirit. And uh, so uh, it's altogether different. So God makes an individual. Now, after that, he makes Eve and then they marry. And now what do you have? Uh, when I say they marry, they, you know, it's intended that they come together. It's a marriage. So now what do you have? Now you have a couple. So now we have our first couple. But we didn't start with a couple. We started with a one. Would you agree with that? And now we have a couple. But, but when, from the couple, what will come is that uh, the natural union of those two will lead to children. So, so we started with one and now we have a couple and now the couple have become a family. Now they've become a family. So now we have our first family. All right, so, so we, we, okay, so now we are families also uh, and we are also uh, couples and we are also uh, individuals. But we go back to the fact that... that, that uh, God started by making uh, an individual. Now, when man sinned, who sinned? Did Eve sin? Eve sinned. Uh, was, was the serpent uh, uh, sinful as well? Was the, certain, was the serpent bad? The serpent was bad. Eve sinned. Uh, the serpent did bad. Uh, did Adam sin? Adam sinned also. Now, after those three all participated in that event that we know uh, in Genesis chapter 3, what does God do? All right? In verse 14, God judges the serpent for the actions of the serpent. Yes? In uh, verse number 16, God then turns to the woman. Now, you'll notice he's not dealing with them as a couple. He's, he's, not, he's not dealing with a family unit. He's going to the specific one. He turns to the woman. And in verse number 16, the woman is specifically judged and certain things are put on her. God to her. And then God turns to the man in verse number 17 and God judges the man for, a certain, for his conduct. So we have three distinct judgments given there by God on three uh, personalities, uh, 
two being man and woman and the serpent, but the judgment of God. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because Genesis being the beginning book to understand the place of families and how you're supposed to understand your place in your family and your relationship with God. You go back to the fact that God started with an individual, but even when a group sinned, God judged them individually. There was an individual specific judgment. Nobody escaped the judgment. Okay, that's an underlying sermon statement right there. Nobody escaped the judgment. Nobody was able to hide out in the group. Nobody was able to deflect to another their personal sin and say, well, Adam tried. Uh, No one was able to do that. God held each individual wholly to account for their personal conduct. And that's another one you better underline right there from the beginning if you want to understand God. Nobody escaped. The tempter never escaped. The instigator, who was Eve, never escaped. And the participant, Adam, never escaped. Judgment was based on their personal conduct. So here's the first thing you must understand. Judgment is personal. It will be based on what you did or didn't do while you were on earth. Somebody called this earth the sphere of our probation, meaning the place that God put us to test us and see what we are and what we do. And that's reasonable to say that. Uh, So judgment is personal and it will be based on what you did or didn't do while you're on earth. That should put your family in a bit of context. It should start to speak to you about what you can or maybe can't be to your family, about how far you can go or not go for another. All right? Continuing our understanding before we get to this, there is no marriage in heaven. So, so marriage, the couple thing, is a distinctly earthly uh, something designed just for life on earth. All right, ma- there, marriage is not planned for heaven. It's not needed in heaven. There's reasons for that. Uh, there'll be no reproducing in heaven, none of that. No one will be living as a couple. So marriage is a distinctly earthly concept of great value and importance to us who are here and part of our probation, our testing on this sphere where we live will have to do with how we are in our marriage. So we're not minimising the importance of it but we are saying you need to understand that that is something that ceases to be here. That's why when one partner dies in a marriage the other person is entirely free in God's perspective to marry again. It is not considered they're still in a marriage. They're not still in a marriage. 
that marriage is over. It's ended, it's gone, and, uh, and so a person is not bound by that. There is no marriage in heaven. People do not stay in family units in heaven, as best I can tell. There's nothing to suggest they do. And it, it would likely not be so. All right, why, why are you saying all this? Because you will understand family now much better. And by the way, nobody will leave this tonight and be anything less to your loved ones. If you leave here tonight with the understanding of this truth, you might be a bit better for them, but you won't be any less. There's nothing here that will diminish your love for those who are your family in this life right now. Nor, nor, nor should there be. There's nothing in the Scriptures. People do not stay together in family units in heaven. Now, to understand family here, family perhaps is the, is, and this is my, my, my words, is perhaps the highest earthbound love. All right, it, it probably, if you, if you want to understand the highest kind of love human to human on earth, it's probably family, probably. All right, it's probably, it's probably found in some couples. Uh, if not, we hope you get a bit more, but, but um, you know, but, but found in couples, but, but certainly, would you agree, uh, found in family? I mean, you're born into a family, and isn't it true that your family becomes dearest to you more than everybody else? It's not that you don't like anybody else, but there's nothing like your family, is there? Your family feels like your place, your home, your, your identity. Uh, your, your, it's just what you were, you know, it's, it's very important to you. You love your mother, you love your father, you love your family. Unsaved people love their families. And so in an earthly sense, that's probably the highest kind of love man to man is found in a family context. It's pretty, it's pretty special. I remember uh, when I left my family to marry my wife, the adjustment of becoming a new couple, a new family. So, so my wife didn't do the veggies like my mum did. <laughs> and uh, I was just used to how mum did it. And I just remember that being an obstacle. It, was, it wasn't a point of, uh, you know, we never had an argument about it and I didn't, you know, it didn't cause me to want to divorce her or anything like that. But I do remember the feeling of our first sort of few meals together that she cooked different to mum. Mum always cut the pumpkin like this, but she does it like this. And, and you know, because that was how she grew up in her family. So I'm just saying it's all that sort of stuff that we get knitted into a family and it becomes very dear to us and it becomes, it's part of our identity. It's, it, it, we find our security in that and, our, and who we are and then we leave that and we marry and uh, you become another couple and from that uh, love, hopefully, uh, you know, you start a new family. Now, by the way, uh, mum's veggies are funny to me because I've, I've gone the other way. Now I'm just used to everything that my wife does. It, it completely changed. And, and my kids didn't know there were alternative ways to cut up pumpkin. They won't find that out till they leave our family. But, uh, but I'm just used to what I have now. So it's family. So I think in an earthly sense, it's legitimate. It's okay to say this is probably 
a very high love, right? I mean, there's people here tonight who would say very sincerely, I'd die for my family. And you, you wouldn't do that for everyone. If, if you, there's people here tonight, if someone tried to touch your family, I mean, you would give your life and your all for your family. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's what a powerful bond it is to us. It's, a, it's our love, it's our bond. Now, I say that to say that, okay, that's, that's on earth, but when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, it's going to be different. Now, when I say it's going to be different, your apprehension at that statement is this, does that mean I won't have my family? And that might be normal for you to feel that way now. Does that, does that mean, well, what will that mean if I'm not, you know, in my family? Because the family is all you know now. But, but I want to make this clear. When you get to heaven, so you have a certain love for your family now. Let's say it's the high love of your life. Uh, you know, whatever. Let's just measure it. Let's just say it's this. This is the measure of the love that you have for your family. Now, let's say this is the love you're trying to have for other people around you. Let's say, let's say it's your church, your church family, okay? I think we love, I, I try to love the church family, but, but I don't want to say it's at the same level as my own personal family. I could say that, but you'd know it's not true. <laughs> so, so you know it's a little bit, but I want to tell you it's higher than just people outside. It really is. I mean, there's a bond that we have. We share the same spirit. We, so it's an it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a elevated love. And then there's people outside that I'm supposed to love, right? Love, 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 love your neighbour as yourself. So that's the one I'm striving to be. Uh, so there's different levels. So, but the family one, whether you're thinking you and your wife, your wife and, you know, or you're thinking your love to the kids, you probably agree, or the way you feel about your mother is probably that highest earthly love. Now, I'm not cutting God out, and that's at a different level. We're not talking now man to God. We're talking man to man. So you have this level of love. Now, I'm saying to you, when you get to heaven, uh, that will not be the same. All right, now, here's how it will change. It will not change by diminishing. There will be no love you have now that will be less when you get to heaven. Are we clear on that? There's no losing of anything you have now. But what you're going to have is an elevation of increased love to everybody. You're gonna, you're gonna, we're all going to move to a level where our love to each other which will be coming from God, that's where our love comes from, God is love and you study that, the whole love is coming down through God, it'll be at a higher level. So being at a higher level means, yes, this is Curtis, he was my son on earth uh, and this is so-and-so, but it won't be like I favour Curtis above other people. That will be something that was earthbound but not heavenly and Curtis will be okay with that and Curtis won't love me less than he loves me now. He'll have an increased love for me because he'll have an increased love for God. So we're all going to be taken onto a higher level of love that will permeate us all. And now remember, we're no longer as couples. Is that Mr. and Mrs. Johnson? We won't be saying that. We'll be meeting each other 
as, as recognisable individuals. So if we knew each other now, we'll know each other then. But you'll also be meeting a lot of other people that you don't know yet, but you'll love, you'll love to know. And you'll have great connection with them as well. Because we'll all be the family of God together. All right, so there's going to be an elevated love. So no one's going to get anything less. Let that be your comfort. You're not going to be loved less, but we're all going to love more. But it's just going to be at a higher level. So that's our doctrinal understanding of what family is and what's, what's to come. So now, how do you respond to your family now? What is it that God, how does he want you to be now? What, how do you, what, what, what should you do? All right, number one is this, your priority should be God in all things. God, God requires of you that he is your priority. Now, whether he is in some things in your life, he probably is, but whether he is in everything is another question. So there are, there are people that, that I know, uh, that I've met in Thailand, who believe the gospel is true. They have no argument with that that, that is likely true. They have no argument that they're sinners. They have no argument that heaven and hell are real. Um, they're, they're often very convinced in their heart that, that this thing they've heard is probably true and that Jesus is the way to heaven. But they make a decision to say no to that because they're unwilling to lose what they will lose with their family. Do you understand that? They realise they can't have both. They realise if I take salvation and God, I will pay a price now with my own family, my brothers, my sisters, their kids. The whole, I'll, I'll be ostracised. I will no longer be accepted as part of the family. Uh, I may be cut off as some have been. Um, uh, I, I will never be able to be the same with my family. I won't be able to participate in all the things that they do. So I choose to say no to God and hold on to my family's love. And they do. And they do it over and over and over again. So you know what they're doing? They're making a choice that family and family bonds are priority over God. What I'm saying to you, that what God is saying, is God is saying that God is to be priority in your life over all things. That's, that's, that's his demands he puts on you. That's what he expects from you. He's not shy about saying it. He's very clear. He wants the first priority, the first place in how you think, in what you feel, what's in your heart, your very soul. He wants to be and he demands of you that he should be in a place where no person can be. And he expects that. 
And so God expects to be your priority. More than your children. More than the dearest that you love down here. Now, he's not telling you to not love them. But he's telling you, I come first. I I come first in everything. I come first in your life's decisions. I come first in what you do, how you act, what you speak, where you go, what you do with your money, what you do with your time, what you meditate on. I come first. I'm first. And I must be first because I'm God and there's none like me and there's none else, God says. So God demands from every individual, and remember we're all individuals, that he is the priority in all things. You have to get saved by yourself. You're not saved because your family is saved. Your family is saved, uh, maybe. If your family is saved, they might go to heaven and you might go to hell because you're not saved. There's no pedigree that earns you your salvation. The only way that you get saved is you come as an individual to God. And as an individual, you must own your own sin. As an individual, you've got to come to the place where you and God get alone and you admit your sin. And you admit before God, I've transgressed against you. I've sinned against you. And I'm lost. And if I die in my sins... I'll go to hell and I'll deserve that. And I come because I want to believe on Jesus. I believe when he was on the cross, it was my sin that he was paying for. Lord, I believe. Receive me. And when you come to God as an individual, you get saved. But you have to do that on your own. You can't get saved by being part of the group. You're not saved because you just grew up around it or any other such thing. God says, I must be your priority. You get saved by yourself. Then you must learn God on your own. When I say on your own, I don't mean solitary, but I mean you must start the process of I've got to learn this God I'm following. I've got to understand who this God is that I call God and who saved me and who claims ownership over my life, my soul, my future, my identity, my feelings, all my decision-making, I must learn him. And you don't learn him immediately at salvation. You get saved, you get into the family, now you've got to learn, you've got to learn about Father. But you have to decide that. You, you have to decide. And people do decide that. There are people who decide, I, 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 I care little to know of him. I'm I'm busy. I like to do things that I like to do and I don't have time for that. So so this is individual. It's individual. You have to learn God. You have to learn to walk with him. You have to put him above all people and you must not disobey God to appease men. You must not disobey God to appease men or please men. And that's what you have happening here. That they came to Jesus and said, you know, knock it off. Well, shouldn't, you know, we slang it up a bit. But, but the fact is they were asking him to come out and come away from all that. 
and he wouldn't leave. And do you know why he wouldn't leave? Because he knew I'm in the will of God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm teaching the people that God wants me to teach. And I was 30 years with you, and I love you, and I was there, but God has given me this task to do, and if I do not do it, I will be disobedient unto him. And if you're making me choose between you and him, it's clear what I must choose. And can I encourage you to never put someone in that position? To never put yourself in a position with family, friends, church members, people you love. Don't ever put them in the position where you, you demand that they choose you or God. That's very unwise to do. Or you demand, you forsake the will of God. And we do this to understand. It's a very dangerous thing to do. Your priority is to be God. Number two, your family will not always understand that. Your family will not always understand that you've made the decision that God is your priority. Their level of understanding will be equivalent to the level to which they know and understand God. So if they themselves understand God, they likely will understand what you're doing. But if they themselves do not understand God, they will likely not understand what you're doing. Sometimes some in our extended family, so let's just say, you know, both sides, a lot of people, and we, some, not all, some never understood that we made the decision to go to Thailand. And that always surprised me because those people sat in churches and those people said that they understood missions and that, but, but yet when somebody in the family actually made the decision to do that, uh, they looked at it like, uh, well, why would you do that? Why would you, why, would you, why, why would you do that? Why would you leave? They looked at it like you were just making a choice to, uh, you know, have a Bali holiday for 12 years or something. <laughs> they never could quite reconcile that it was more than that. Well, see, that, that's perplexing because you would think if you understand God that you would understand what God does. And you would, you would understand when people serve God. So your family will only understand your decisions for God as much as they understand God. So if you have unsaved family, and I do, then just mark it down. They're not going to understand what you're doing. They will try to define it in the best way that their mindset allows them to do it. So that's all they can do. And if they're, if they're charitable, they might put a good slant on it. And if they're less than charitable, they might put a negative slant on it. But people will only understand as much as they understand God. So your family will not always understand what you're doing. And those who know God do not seek to resist him or his ways, but they try to make him the priority in their life. Number three is this. Your family will be better because of your obedience and love for God, even if they don't understand it. Your family will be better. Your family will not get less because you put God first. They might think they're getting less. Understand at this point, Jesus' family will be like, well, come on home. Do you know what happens in the end? Do you know what happens if you go through? They're saved, by the way. 
you find, you, find them, you find some in the upper room. You find one uh, half-brother becomes a pillar of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, you find that they're all going on for God. But at this point, they're not at that place. You will never win your family to Christ by denying God or putting them above God. You, you will not win them, you will not help them by giving in to them above God. And even when they put pressure on you, uh, even when uh, you know, they make it uncomfortable for you, it's always better that you put God first. They'll be better for that. Jesus' family was saved in the end. You know, nobody loves God more and then somehow because of that, they love people less. That doesn't happen. The more you love God, the more you love people. When people in Thailand get saved, their family don't get less of them, they'll get more. Their family don't get less of a son because their son becomes a Christian, they'll get more of a son. And that doesn't mean that he'll be able to participate in every religious rite they have, but he'll be more caring. He'll see it as his duty to God to love his family and to take care of them. And so your family won't always understand it, but it is better. Your obedience will help your family, not your disobedience. And then number four, almost done, the devil will use those closest to you to stop you doing for God if he can. The devil will use the people closest to you to stop you doing what God wants you to do if he can use them. doesn't mean everybody is usable, but, but it's a pattern. What do you mean it's a pattern? He used Eve. Why did he use Eve? Because he's trying to get at Adam. So he used the love of Adam's life. He used Sarah when she made the suggestion, you should go into my maid. And from that we get uh, Ishmael, uh, who we still see on the TV throwing rocks over the fence on CNN to this night. But he used her to try to derail the plan of God and end up with the, the, the son of the flesh and not the son of God. He used Herod's wife, Herodias, and her daughter to get John the Baptist slain. Did he not? He tried to use Jesus' family to get him to withdraw from the will of God. So, so we can't say it doesn't happen. It does happen. And I'm saying to you tonight, everything I just said previously, you have to make the decision that God's the priority. Why? Because you've got a personal judgment day coming with God. Because you're going to give account for what you did. You're going to give account for the decisions you made. You need to do that. So, so be clear of that. The expectation is that God comes first. Now, I, I, I hesitate to read it because then I have to explain it, but Luke 14 26 and 27, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, I would not say that Jesus was preaching hate, but he was making it very clear, if you come to me, I'm number one. 
and I've got to be number one even above the family. Now, now, now don't ever use that as an excuse to do absolutely contrary to what God has said. You understand? Don't ever, don't ever do this. Well, I just got to put Jesus first. And then you do things that plainly are just anti-God. That God would not be in that conduct. He would not be in that behavior. He's not in you doing that. You're just using his name to justify something you want to do. Don't do that. But we're talking about the true will of God. That he's asking, you've got to put me first. You're going to have your own judgment day. Your kids are going to have their own judgment day. And you're not going to be there as a family unit. What, what, what will you be judged on if you're, if you're mum in the home? What will you be judged on? You'll be judged on how you were with the children God gave you. That will be part of your judgment. Because those children, but those children, by the way, in heaven will not be children anymore. Even if they died as children, they won't be children anymore. There are no children running around heaven. There are people who died as children, but they're fully grown up. There's no old people in heaven. You understand that? You're not going to meet anyone in heaven. There's Mr. You're not going to meet... No, 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 no. They're going to be young. They're going to be back to their prime years, probably 30, whatever, fully mature, uh, bright, happy, healthy. That's, that's who you're going to meet. All individuals, all of us together. But you're going to give an account for the things you did. Family is just part of the cycle of Earth's probation, the testing. Do you understand? So, so your family is important because what you do, you, you, you do, how you treat your family will have a lot to do with how God judges you, your personal judgment day. So a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. Uh, if, you, if you never taught your kids, that's not right. If you prioritise other things above your duty to your family, that's not right. I'm not saying God... I'm saying there's an accountability there. It will be based on what you did in the family as much as it will be and how were you in the church? What did you do in the church? And how were you in your nation? And, and or lots of things. But family will just be one, one of those arenas by which our conduct will be examined. So that's, that's what... That's how we need to think about our family. So here's what this means. It means if I only have my children and my wife um, and my grandkids, if I only have them now, if when I die we're going to separate and I will be on my own and I'll be individually before God, at that point all my influence is done with them. My, my duty is over. I'm entering my rest. So, so that doesn't make me think less of my family. What, you know what that does to me? It says to me, this is really precious because I only have this time with them and then I must go. And, I, and I'll never be dad again beyond I was their dad, you know but I, I, won't, I won't have the duty of dad ever again. It'll be gone. So I look at it now that what I have is even more precious because it's just really limited. It's really limited. And I look at it like, well, God is judging my conduct to my family and all that I do with them, and I, it, it's just limited. I, I have a wonderful uh, relationship with some of our people in Thailand, 
And, uh, you know, it's really unique. It's really special. I think God has given it to us. Uh, I would say they love me. I would say they love me more than probably most people they, they've ever loved. And uh, we, we, we spend a lot of hours together, many, many, oh, many, many hours. Hard times, good times, uh, working, holidaying, um, weeping, uh, uh, laughing, a lot of things. It's very, very precious. And now they've come to the place where they talk when I'm not there and they say, they say, you know, what we have is really precious. I don't say it, but they say, they say, we will never get him again. There's only one of him. And when he's gone, he'll be forever gone. And they say, we need to, we need to really uh, appreciate our time with him and use this time to get everything that, that we can get because when he's gone, no one's going to come along like that. We're never, we're never going to have this again. That's what they say. Now, I happen to believe that's true. They won't have it again. I think it's just, it's now. Uh, in that part of my life, in that part of the world, I've been given to them and they've been given to me. But, but you know what it makes me think? It makes me think when, we, when I wake up in the morning and I have breakfast with Suzanne and then I go out to face the day and, and I go with the men, it makes me just realise, well, this is a time that they'll be gone one day. I must leave them. And when I leave them, the relationship that we've enjoyed will never come back again. It, it, now, again, I don't say it'll be less, but it'll never be like this again. This is one time only because we're on earth and God has it this way. Uh, but it makes me value all the more the time I have with people now. Because when you're gone, you're gone. I don't say that Trish is not caring about us, but I'm just going to say that Trish is okay and she's now with other people and in the very presence of the Lord and she's enjoying what, what, what that is. And this is done for her. There's no, there's no more of this. And the time will come where you'll be done. So you shouldn't look any less, but what you should do is say, my child, I have but a few precious years with you and I'll try to give you everything I can to prepare you for when I must go. And when I'm gone, I can't be here for you anymore. And, and it shouldn't make you feel any less, but it should make you love even more. It does for me. It makes me love even more. Um, there'll be no Suzanne Mark II. There's no round two. There's no, well, I'll have another one in heaven. There's none of that. This is only for now. And uh, I've been put with someone and she's been put with me. And it is the will of God and we have to do what we have to do. But it's only one time and it'll, it'll be passed. And she's an individual. And she's got to have her own judgment day. Well, don't you love her? Yeah, I, I, I do. So you know what I've got to do? I want to help her with her impending judgment day. That's the nicest thing I can do. Is to, is to, is to help her do things that are pleasing to God so that when she has her judgment day and I won't be there, I can't, you know, it's not husband and wife, that, that it'll be well with her. 
That's the, that's the best thing I can do for her. Well, that's a bit unromantic. Well, it's a bit spiritual. Try it sometime. It's very liberating. It's just spiritual. Try to think of your kids that way. Try to think of the preciousness of what you have. Try to think of your church that way. And just understand that this is it. This is, this is what it's about. Now, I'm, I'm done. No more. I'm not going to say I'm done. I'm done. I am done. But, but another time, you know, I, I have a little... I'd like to talk about what family is, is for. Why, why, what, what is it meant to do? It's a place of nurturing. It's given for that and other things. By the way, it's also given for your comfort. Family is a gift to you from God. And you know why? Because God said, I know you don't like being alone. I know that you need to be loved by people, not just me. I know that. I know that when you go through hard things on earth, it helps you to have someone beside you. I, I know you need that. I know you don't like to lay alone at night, and I know that. So I, I give you this. I know in the hardship of life you need some joys. Your children will give you that. And, and family is gifted to us for our sojourn here. And it's a gift of God, and it should be appreciated as such. All right, let's have a word of prayer together. And who's ever going to lead the song is going to lead the song. What should we pray? Maybe many things. Father, thank you for the word of God. And we understand, Lord, that for us to understand anything, we have to see it from your perspective. We acknowledge you tonight. You are our creator. You breathed into us the breath of life. You gave us today and we know that as you've given, you can take at any time. We know you, Lord, tonight also as the judge of the whole earth. And though others will not yield to that and, and won't bow the knee, Lord, we do so. We do bow the knee. We call you judge and God, the Holy One, the Ancient of Days, the Great I Am. And Lord, we are but dust. And why you love us and favoured us, Lord, we don't understand, but we're very privileged tonight. Thank you, Lord, that tonight in this place, many here, they do know you as Saviour. And we're glad to be saved, Lord. You came to us. Help us now to walk with you. Help us to be godly. Help us with our family. Lord, there's no challenge that we face in our family that, that you would not understand or you would... It would be new to you. Lord, you know, you see, and you know men and their days and life under the sun. Now help us to be godly. Help us to love our families with the love of God, with a very high love. Help us to love our children. Help us to teach them your ways. And uh, Lord, help us to do things that are pleasing to you, that uh, you would consider worthy and good things. Lord, we understand judgment day is coming and uh, we must give account to you of the things done in the body. So help us with that. We pray you bless the church. I want to say thank you tonight, Lord, for our pastor. We love our pastor. We're thankful for him. He was gifted to this church from you. 
And we pray, Lord, you'd put multiple blessings on his life and on his family. And we pray you'd encourage his heart, give him a safe trip when he comes back. Thank you for all you do amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.